Father, we thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. Just do not want to take any meeting for granted, O Lord. Father, we know, Father, eternity, Lord, is at stake, O Lord, in every meeting of ours. You are serious about your bride. Father, you said, O Lord, through your apostle Paul, that you were that he was jealous with a godly jealousy over the Corinthian church. And he said, that I've espoused you to one husband, that I may present you blameless and spotless to the one to whom we have been espoused. O oh Lord, this evening, Father, I pray, Lord, you would, you would, Lord, cleanse us and wash us by the water of your word so that you can present yourself a bride that is spotless and blameless. That every one of us over here, O oh Lord, will have that inclination and the and the desire to be a part of that bride, Father, perfecting holiness and cleansing ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit in the fear of the Lord. Therefore, I pray, Father, that you would anoint, O oh Lord, the speaking and the hearing of this word to that end. That, Lord, that we will not only have receptive ears, but we will have willing hearts to obey. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Um, one of the things when I was uh, teaching in the university, we used to have several courses. And especially in the first year, we used to have one of the most difficult courses in, for, the, uh, for the engineering students. Um, in fact, you will understand that when you come to university, the first year is the toughest of all the years because you come from uh, intermediate where everything is spoon-fed. Uh, where the difficult problems are for the teacher and the easier problems are for the student. And then you come to the university level and everything changes. <laughs> and freshman year is the killer year of all. The intense culture change for so many students I've seen in my brief career as an academician. I've seen as a teacher, as a lecturer, I saw that so many students really find it difficult to shift from from school and plus one plus two setting to, to the university university set, setting, so you know it, 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 the first year is called the freshman year, and the second year is called sophomore, from which we get the word moron. Basically, they don't still they're still figuring it out. You see, they're still not able to adjust your, themselves to the whole thing because the the culture shock is tremendous. A shift in the level of teaching is incredible. And the first thing that I tell my teacher students when I come to the class to prepare them for the rest of the year, I said, you know what, you come to university that. Easier things is for the professor and the difficult things, things is for the student. That's what I used to tell them and that used to, you know, put them in the, I prepare some, some of them and I just to ensure that they're not taking things lightly, you know. And one of the things that you observe when you are a teacher, I mean, we used to have, uh, an intense course, um, an engineering course, I don't want to name the name of the course, we used to have, uh, theory class, uh, we have 28 classes in a particular semester and then Parallelly, we have a lab. So whatever you learn in your theory, you apply it in the lab and the, and the difficulty of every experiment in the lab just keeps on increasing. The complexity increases and by the time you come to the third or the fourth experiment, you have a circuit board and you have wires going all over the place and these guys are just I mean, we have a manual and we have a uh, experiment manual to teach them as to how to go about the whole process. But you know, every IC that they that they uh, connect and the wires that they connect, they just go crazy. And 
and they just, and, and and most of the times they don't get a result. So just they lift up the hand, you know. And the, I just keep uh, going around to see how they're doing. So they lift up their hand and say, "Sir, sir, sir, sir." Then I go to them and I said, "Sir, what what has happened? Sir, I did everything right, sir, but I'm not getting the result." And this is very common. Everything I did, I did right, and I I'm not getting the result. Then, you know, I should sit with them, troubleshoot. Now, so I have a, uh, an army of TAs with me because we have a huge class, 125 students in a particular class. So we have an army of TAs and everybody's troubleshooting. So I sit with the guys because they're new to the whole thing. And then, you know, uh, one IC is connected the other way around. I say, see, you connected the IC the other way. Oh, sir, I didn't see that. <laughs> and then they connected properly and then this result comes out. And what, the, what, the, what the claim is, I'm doing everything right. Why is it not coming? You see, that is the common Common, common, uh, uh, in whatever, you know, uh, uh, they have, you know, they, this is the objection that they have, everything right, sir. I mean, I saw that, you no, know, and, and I got used to it, and over a period of time, as a, as a lecturer, you see, you know where the things go wrong, and you are able to troubleshoot. Recently, I was reading a book, uh, by one man of God, and, uh, in that book, I came across a quotation by a statistician, uh, from Harvard University, his name is W. Edward Deming. Most of you, sh- I'm sure, would not heard of him. <laughs> but don't worry. But he made a very powerful statement, so profound. When I thought about this, I just remembered the class. This statement, this is what he says. He says, every system is perfectly designed to get the result it gets. Okay. You got- every system is Perfectly designed to the to get the result it gets. In other words, I mean, if you want to apply it to the scenario of a student, they say, "Sir, I'm not getting the result. I'm getting some other result." I tell them, "You have a perfect system to get the wrong result." See, and the fact of the matter is, every system. This is, by the way, many managers use this uh, terminology, this is a manage, terminology in management. Every system they say, when you, you go to any organization, why am I not getting the results? 100% of the time you have a system which is absolutely perfectly designed to give you the result that you're getting. No brainer. I mean, you have to troubleshoot and most of the time when managers brainstorm, they see, you know what, we have a system, 100% and we can't do patchwork. Remember when, I mean, I don't, I don't know, many of you don't know the uh, software terminologies when Microsoft opened, used to release its uh, service pack 1, service pack 2, patches, they used to call it patches, right? Patch 1, patch 2, I mean, in order to make their operating system workable, they used to do patchwork. And ultimately, people got frustrated with Windows machines and they chucked them out and every, now Mac became famous. You see that? You know it, what happened to the market. So you, you need to understand, every system is perfectly designed to the results that it is producing. So from this, I can, I mean, three obvious, three obvious uh, um, inferences that I can draw from the statement is that to get a desired result, I need to have an appropriate system. You got it? Got that? So every system is perfectly designed to get the result that it gets. In other words, to get a desired result, I need to have an appropriate system. Second inference, the problem is not with the result. Okay, no brainer. The problem is with the system. You got that? 
You understand? You see, I mean, this, and I, I read this quotation in one man of God's book, his name is Dallas Willard. Profound statement. So you are not getting the results in spite of what you're doing. You are getting the results because of what you're doing. You got that? Everybody? Now if you turn to the Bible, Bible says the same thing in different words. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. Look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And then he says, I hope you understood it. So he puts it in a negative way. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. (laughs) And a bad tree cannot produce a good fruit. So, again, you know it. If you want to troubleshoot any problem, what we want to do is what we call as a root cause analysis. All managerial people in software sectors know it. RCA in, in, in those terms. We need to do root cause analysis. What is going on here? So that is what, that is the reason, that is the reason why the definition of insanity in managerial terms is to do the same thing again and again and, and expecting a different result. You can't do it. You can't expect a different result. You have a, when you have a same kind of a system, you need to do something. You need to do troubleshooting to understand where the system is going wrong. There is an Old Testament teacher, uh, who talks about this who prophesied during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember, when Nehemiah, the good hand of the Lord was on Nehemiah, and then he uh, came and started building the temple along with Ezra. We had two uh, levels of exodus from Babylon to Jerusalem to build, rebuild Jerusalem, one during the time of Ezra, the other during the time of Nehemiah. And then you ha- during the time of Nehemiah, a bunch of guys from Babylon, they come back from, Jeru- from Babylon to Jerusalem. They're, they're absolutely stirred up and they want to rebuild Jerusalem. And they come back, they have this favor with the authorities and they start to build the temple and then you have opposition. And you need to expect opposition whenever you're doing the work of God. So they found opposition and they had this intense opposition from a bunch of guys who are the mixed multitude. They said, we also want to build the temple along with you. They said, no, 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 you are not going to be a part of the building, uh, temple building process. We alone will build the temple. And they absolutely got upset. They wrote a letter back to uh, the king saying that these people who came back from Babylon, they're doing all kinds of hallagula over here, do something to stop the temple. And then what happens? A letter is sent from the from the king and the decree is passed that they should stop building the temple and that is when you uh, you see this in Ezra chapter 4 verses 24 to Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 then the work on the house of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia for 16 years 16 years the house was stopped from being built 16 years remember that I mean, if you look at this in the in in, in the New Testament con, uh, context, you'll see when once the church started started growing, there was opposition for sure, and Peter was put in prison, and then John and Peter were 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 uh, reprimanded by the Sanhedrin, saying that you are not going to preach in the name of Jesus. But they did not stop just because they had the opposition. They went back, they started praying. When they started praying, the whole place was 
filled with, I mean, was moved and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went back and started building the temple again. So you need to understand though, if God has begun our work, we never stop it. We built it in spite of opposition. And opposition has to be expected. It says in Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, you don't have to turn there. It says that all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, can you complete? Will suffer persecution. It is not that may suffer persecution. They will suffer persecution. There will be opposition to any work of God and you have to expect that in your own lives. So it is naive Christians who think that everything is going to be honky-dory once they start building. Expect opposition and prepare yourself for that. So what happens during that time? When the house of God stops, the two prophets are raised by God. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, love these two guys here. Two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo. Prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jezerok arose and began to rebuild the house of God. Two prophets. Zechariah, sorry, yes, and Haggai. Zechariah was the younger guy. Haggai was the older guy. Zechariah was a man of vision. Okay, visions. You'll see uh, the book of Zechariah, full of visions, visions of this man and that man, and vision of Joshua before the before before the throne of God with filthy garments, etc., etc. Man of vision. Young Zechariah, man of vision, and we have so many people, young people, hopefully with vision and dreams in your own life, and you should have one. Hopefully, a God-given dream. And then on the other hand, you have an old prophet, Haggai. Remember what we learned on Sunday. One of the things that you need to understand from old people, that we'll never have, that old people have, older people have, is what we call as, ah, experience. You see? Haggai and Zachariah. Zachariah was this bombastic guy, full of vision, full of enthu, full of vision. And then, Haggai, on the other hand, if you read his prophecies, no vision at all. What he has is practical, godly counsel. And I believe Zacharias have to grow in an environment of Haggai. What we don't have in church, there is no balance in church. We have either people of vision without no proper practical applications into in day-to-day lives or we have people who have practical applications without vision. But a church, a New Testament church is a church which has both vision on one side and people with experience who have gone through rigor in life where they have experienced pain after pain after suffering after suffering gone through all kinds of ups and downs have godly character established in their lives who will be able to mentor Zacharias. And I see that. I mean, I, I, I really, you know, this is my heart. I, I find this is close to my own heart. I said, no, Lord, let, let there be a church in GTC where, where we have Zacharias under the authority of Haggai. Very difficult. One vision people have, they go bonkers. They just go crazy. They never come under the authority of Haggai. Haggai denote people with experience, practical counsel. Who are able to see through the entire problem and to give you exactly precise, concise, 
counsel as to what has to be done at the particular situation. And to that prophet I want to look at today. This guy, he's looking at the results. And he's saying, boss, the results that you're getting is because of the system that you have. Look at what he says in Haggai chapter 1. Verse 5 onwards. Just going through excerpts of Haggai. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. What is that? Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, so to put them, does so to put them into a bag with holes. I mean, I think at least there will be 10% in this audience who has this kind of an experience. I'm sure. Or let me just put it in, you know, in, in our terms, at least in GDC terms. You're coming to Bible study after Bible study. Listening to preaching after preaching, teaching after teaching. But when you see your life, no victory. And you're saying, Lord, I'm listening to all these messages. <laughs> the input seems to be okay, but the results, what's going on with my result? And he says, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. See, very important. In in Christendom, especially with God, it is not the result which matters. How you get the result matters most. And I'll tell you something. A professor who's trained can know exactly if a guy knows the procedure or not. I'll tell you for my example, for my experience. A guy is given a problem. He starts solving it. He knows the answer, but he doesn't know the procedure. Okay? Because he knows somewhere he saw the problem, he knows the left hand side has to be equal to, equal to right hand side. No? You want to know what I'm saying? So he does all kinds of jugad and finally he says, I got the result. And therefore he, he ex- assumes because of the amount of mathematics that he has put on the paper that the professor will get somehow get confused and uh, he will say, alright, this fellow knows the answer. And therefore he says, left hand side is equal to right hand side. Hence proved. And you, the professor who looks at the, the whole thing and says, hey, you can't fool me. <laughs> gone, zero <laughs> and then you will come sir left hand side is equal to right hand ok, you you want to argue with me right come, come to my class after the exam because we have 125 students right you can't fight with everybody, everybody will have an objection, they were always comparing with how many marks that other fellow got and he is totally embarrassed because he got several marks less than his, uh, his friend so he is fighting tooth and nail for every mark so he comes and says ok fine I say Sit with me. If your procedure is completely correct, I will give you 100. If your procedure is wrong, I will give you 0. Please meet me at 5.30 if you are okay with these terms. 5.30, 5 6, 6.30, 7. That fellow has not come. You know exactly what is it. Because you can't fool. See, that's exactly the reason why you can't fool God. God is, he sees through every situation. You can say, sir, God, I got this. No, he says, Cain, I'm not looking at your result. I'm looking at the way you produce that result. That is important. 
And I am telling you, this is, this is a problem in many, many people's lives. Because to change the system from the root cause level is going to be a painful process and they don't want to do it. But unfortunately, you can't fool with God. That is the reason why he tells Jeremiah, he says, you know what? I am sending you as a prophet first to root out, to pull down, to pull down everything. And then I will build and then I will plant. That is going to be a painful exercise to so many people who have already built on wrong foundations. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. That is the reason why it says in Psalms 9, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive according to his own reward, according to his own labor. Okay, so you worked a lot. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Okay, everyone will receive according to their works, according to their labor. So you labored a lot. Then he says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let everyone take heed. Please finish this. How he builds on it. Very important. Very, very important. And I'm telling you, honestly, if you're a young man, young person over here, you want your life to be fruitful, come under the authority of Haggai who can show, pinpoint in your lives to the, to the issues, practical and shape. Boss, look at the way you're building. And you know what happens? It takes a lot of humility to accept your errors, especially for people in Tripolite who come to, I mean, I, I know because I, I, I deal with the, Creamy layer of the society. I mean, we have this creamy layer concept. You know what I'm talking about. A creamy layer. They all think that they are Albert Einstein's. I say, you know, I, I call them Alberts first. I say, you're all Alberts. You're still not Einstein. Okay. They all think they're Albert Einstein. You see? But then you have, you need to have a guy who's not afraid to speak the truth. Speak the truth in love to point out to those errors in your lives. To show out how you are building. Are you? And it's going to be a painful exercise, by the way. But only then you will have a fruit which will last, you see. That is the reason why he says, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not pass away. And he who does the will of God will also not pass away. You see that? In other words, if you have a system, you know the system is absolutely robust if it stands the test of time. And if it does not, consider your ways. Okay, so each one's work, he'll say, you know, he says, he goes on to say, each one's work will become clear on that day because it will be revealed by fire. Boy, I mean, that is going to be a day of so many surprises to many, many people. Better to have surprises today than to have surprises later on in our life. If anyone works, if, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. It is not according to your works alone. It is how you do your works. And that is the reason why when he tells the people, church, to the churches, I know your works, I know your works, but he says, I, I know your works, but you have lost your first love. There is no love in it. The way you are doing your work, there is no delight, there is no devotion, there is absolutely no overflow of worship and praise and you are building something based upon wrong foundations. And he says, sorry, I am not going to accept that. Hmm? 1 John chapter 2 verse 17. And the world is passing away, passing away, and the lust of it, 
But he who does the will of God abides forever. How many of you want to abide forever? Oh yes, I hope so. I hope so. And let me tell you something honestly though. But only a remnant. That is a sad reality. Luke's Gospel chapter 13 will say, you know, the disciples said, Lord, Lord, will many people will be saved? Huh. Strive to enter through the narrow gate because the narrow gate is tough, my dear brothers. Who wants to listen to correction and advice? Hmm. Hardly any people. And it's a tremendous burden for me to see young people not coming under authority. It's amazing. I see it in my own family sometimes. Extension. Absolutely don't want to come under authority. It's not that they are sheep without a shepherd. They are sheep who do not want a shepherd. That's a different category altogether. See? Hmm. That is the reason why Moses, this is his prayer. Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. Now therefore I pray you, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I might, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is not my people, it is your people. Therefore, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. That is the reason why it says in Psalm 103, it says, He made His ways known unto Moses, but it, but His acts unto the children of Israel. Ways of God. Boy! That is a different thing altogether, you know. The ways of God, we were doing Bible study for our, uh, for our young, ch- young ones and Abig- Justin was going through the entire B attitudes and at the end of the B attitudes, Abigail was saying, Mama, this was all ulta. If kingdom of God is completely ulta and this is, this is exactly true. When you look at it from your own perspective, it is ulta. But kingdom of God says, if you want, that is the reason why when, when all these people in Acts, when they went to preach the gospel, they said, these people who have turned the world, what? Upside down. They were not actually turning the world upside down. They were actually turning the world right side up. They were actually putting the foundations right. And showing people as to how to honor God and glorify His name. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. So, we need to know, do a root cause analysis. Consider your lives. We are in the 10th year, year of judging ourselves and it is finishing by the way. It is ending. Let this year not pass by without judging our own lives and our own hearts and looking at our results and being absolutely candid about it and asking people, show me where I've gone wrong. Do you have the desire in you? If you have the desire, this message is for you. It's for me. I was speaking to myself. I said, Lord... God, give me this desire. Give me this desire. Lord, it doesn't matter how wicked I'm shown to be. Lord, show me. It doesn't matter whom you speak with, by, by, through whom you speak. I want to know because I want to set my life in order. Because this year is a year of destiny for several people. And if you believe, if you believe, otherwise it's going to be just another year. Tenth year is going to be the level, like the eleventh year. It's going to be the, like the ninth year, like the eighth year. And the eleventh year is not going to be any different from the tenth year. Believe me. As you believe, as, as your faith, so it will be done unto you. So don't take anything lightly. So Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as, how, when did he believe in God? God showed him, you know, like he showed him, he says, come, come, come here, come here, Abraham, come here, come here, come here, come here. Look at the stars. 
like the stars your descendants will be. You know what it says? Scripture says, he, you know what the word believe in the original Hebrew is? He said, Amin. He said, Amen. Abraham, this is how your descendants, Amen, accounted as righteousness. I see the GTC group. Every time I see Amen, I say, Lord, do they really mean what they're saying Amen to? Amen, Amen, Amen. It's, it's a very common word in the Christian jargon, Amen. Really? Do you know what you're saying Amen to? See, very important. Therefore, let us do a root cause analysis. First, root cause analysis. God is not going to complete that which he did not initiate. Be very, very clear, my dear brothers and sisters, that what God has started in your life has been initiated by God. I mean, this has been coming home to us in several ways in the eldership. And it's a burden in all of our hearts. Lord, did you start this in my life? If he ha- God has not started it, he is not obligated to end it. And if he, and if you initiate it, out of your own pride, out of your own ego, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna destroy it. That's exactly what Babylon is. Babylon is, is a, is a result of something which was initiated by man, not by God. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 onwards. Now the whole world had one speech, one language, common speech, and one language. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. That is where Babylon was built, by the way. Years later, this is the start of Babylon in Genesis chapter 11 and it's going to end in Revelation chapter 19, if I'm right. Babylon is going to be a part of all of us either. And I'm telling you honestly, you can be sitting in any church and you can be building Babylon. It doesn't matter how good the doctrine is. What it says, he says, as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then what happens? And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that when they, when, uh, so that when, uh, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And you see that spirit working in these last days. Uh, Whole world, <laughs> they have all one language. Everybody uses WhatsApp, everybody uses Twitter, everybody uses Facebook. It's one language. Everybody has the same hairstyle. Everybody uses FaceTime to comb their hair because no more, no longer mirrors anymore. FaceTime. Everybody is speaking the same language from Anakapale to Amaravati to America. To Amirpet, to America. The trajectory. Everybody has the same language. And you know what God says? He looks down and he says, I didn't start this. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from, them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. So in other words, if God has not started anything in his life, in your life, it will not stand. You just have to wait for some time. It will just gonna crumble. The cracks will show. Any system you built, you know, as an engineer, as you, you know it, right? How do you know that uh, Hyderabad Metro is a real robust system? Wait for another 10, 15 years. Then the cracks will show. 
See. Then you will know what kind of steel was used. Then you know who may, how many people took bread. That's exactly what happened to the CWG games, right? One bridge fell. Boom. Then scams came out. And the government was overthrown. You see, that's exactly, you just have to wait for some time and the cracks will begin to show. Somebody said, how do you identify sheep and wolves? Wait till dinner time. Okay? Because a lot of people have their wolves in sheep's clothing. Till dinner time you wait, then the exact nature of the wolf will show. They all, they all want biryani. You see that? Time will show whether the systems that you have built will, will are, are robust or not. Otherwise, you know it. Okay, so the Lord scattered them from there over the old, old and they stopped building the city. So, what are the, what are the things that you, that we learn from this whole thing? If you want to build something, First thing that we need to know is that it is initiated by God. Look at this in Ezra chapter 1. Who are these people who build Jerusalem? Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. The heads of the father's households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose. Even everyone whose spirit God has stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. You see that? Who are these people who built Jerusalem? These are the people whose spirits God had stirred. It is a burden which was placed. It was an unshakable burden in their hearts. And they said, this is what God wants us to build. And they went. In spite of all the opposition, they went. And they found favor. That is the reason why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, except the Spirit draws them. No one can come God. Salvation is absolutely an initiation of God. It is not by us. We don't come to God by ourselves. We don't build anything by our own selves. He has to initiate everything in our lives. The businesses that you start, the careers that you have chosen for yourself. Isn't it interesting? The careers that the first brothers chose, One person chose to be a farmer and the other person chose to be a shepherd. I mean, I found it. It's Everything is there in Genesis. The kind of career paths people choose. One chose a career path which will give time, which will give him time with God. And the other person chose a career path to work on something which God already has cursed. And then he says, Lord, bless my work. And he says, God says, how can I bless something which I have cursed? Be very sure that the, that the families and the households that you're building, the partners that you're choosing. I was telling Jason in the morning, I was hearing one man of God, Zach Poonan, I was hearing Zach Poonan. And he tells how girls get fooled. Good, godly girls, how do they get fooled? One handsome boy comes along their path in the office or in or in workplace, or in university, and he says, you're such a beautiful girl. He doesn't say it in those ways, but he uses all kinds of terminologies to to convey this point. You're such a beautiful girl, I don't know, I wonder how you did not become Miss India, in other words. How did you miss being Miss India? I mean, not in a very flowery language, you don't even feel it like flattery, and already one guard is down. 
And then you will say, and he will also say, you are so kind-hearted. You have got beauty. You got character. And truth. Again, one God is gone. And then he will say, you are also very brilliant. You got beauty. You got brains too. Third God, fourth God is gone. And then he will say, you know, right from my childhood, nobody accepted me. Everybody rejected me. And because he has already put in the seed that you are a very compassionate person, you have to, oh, you, 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 so sad, your heart will melt. And then he will put the killer punch. Will you please marry me and not reject me? Gone. Start something based upon your emotions, based upon some kind of a flattery, and then you'll say, Lord, I think this is from the Lord. Please bless it. God says, no, I didn't initiate that person. That was a devil. First of all, I will not, first of all, say that you are very beautiful. I will say all kinds of good things to you, but I will say, I'm a father. I will tell you exactly what you need to hear. I will not say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of all? And you will say, oh, you are the fairest. No, 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 no. My word is a mirror. I am going to show you exactly the way you are. Because I love you. I am not going to flatter you. You see. Be very careful. The relationships you just start. The careers that you choose. Everything. Be sure that is initiated by God. And not by you. Okay. First thing. Second. Haggai chapter 1 verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this, pipe, this people says, the time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You see that? How it comes? Consider your ways. In other words, where are you spending your time? I don't always, I mean, I don't, most of the times I don't agree with Rick Warren, but this one time I do have to agree. I mean, he paraphrased where your treasure is, there your heart is. And we know that life is equal to time. You know that equation, right? Time is equal to life. Remember, several Sundays back we heard that message where you, when you have to give something, you need to give time and time is essentially your life. And this is what he has to say. This is a very interesting statement. He says, where your time is, is where your heart is. True? True. You know, something I always look at in believers. I mean, I'm just observing my own life and I'm just doing some empirical studies in the kind of examples that are surrounding me. In my own circle, immediate circle, in the church circle. I'm not naming names. Don't, don't, I'm not pointing out to anybody. I'm just looking at my life and I'm looking at the people when they make some certain choices. Career choices or what have you. What, whatever kind of choices. Whatever they want to do. Where are they factoring God in, in the whole process? I want to see that. Where are they factoring church? Where are they factoring fellowship? Where are they factoring time to, to learn the word and to be in a, to give themselves more and more opportunities so that they'll be exposed to the authentic word of God. I want to look at those kinds of, kinds of people. I want to see, and I look at, and I see the patterns, I see the changes that they, that is happening to their lives, and I say, you know what? You, it's obvious, this is no brainer, you don't spend time with God, it doesn't matter how spiritual you think that you are. 
You don't prioritize your time around God, around fellowship, around doctrine. It's only a matter of time things will fall apart in your life. You don't factor God. I just, I want to see that, no? And I find very, very few young people, and I look at my own life, and I'm not boasting, okay? I'm not boasting. I used to get opportunities to go out of city. And whenever one opportunity is to come, I remember when I, when I got an opportunity from Pune, there's a huge company, I don't want to name the name of the company, and then they said, they had a, a, a call from, with the US guys, I had a telephonic call, they said come over, absolutely accepted my, my profile, they said just one, one last inter- round of interview, and it's done, and, and it was very positive, very positive, all questions answered, all I needed, needed to do was I had to relocate from Hyderabad to Pune, and this was way back in the year 2009, or 2000, not 2009, 2006, 2007, when Grace was still not happening, I was still a part of the other church where Pastor James was preaching. Okay, I just got this opportunity and I, it was huge and within the 15 days I was going to the US, etc. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it that day that, 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 that my heart was beating and I told myself, I said, okay, let me ask my prof. I said, prof, sir, I got this opportunity to go to Pune and he looked at me and said, what will happen to me, Vijay? PhD, you just came to me, you just can't leave like that and I was looking at all the other things and I said, Lord, there's something, I can't leave this authentic world, I can't leave this fellowship, this, after so many years of searching, I'm being fed in this place, I don't want to go anywhere else. Honestly speaking, it was an incredible career jump. I, I don't want to, it's, it's tremendous, and I look, I'm just looking back in my own life, and I said, no, 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 no. God, you come first. You come first. I'm factoring you here. I want to be, and I want to give myself maximum opportunities where I can expose myself to authentic word. Think about that. When you make career choices, do you make career choices like that? Just not once, not twice, several times. Just to move, and I, and I put a fleece, and I said, Lord, if you, I only want to take up a job in Hyderabad. I thought it was a fleece. I put put to the Lord and God said, no way. <laughs> and then it was the other things were history. Okay. But you see, all you young people, there will be, there will come a point in your life wherein you have to weigh your priorities on a balance and you will say, Lord, eternity or now? Eternity or now? I remember speaking to Shrikar over the phone some time back and he said when uh, Nabil was in the end, at the last stages and then he passed away and he told me, Pastor, Nabil's life, he just, just va- vanished. He's in his thirties, Pastor, he just, it's over. When I consider that, it's going. I don't have opportunities more to serve God. I mean, we just talk over the phone. So encouraging to listen to what he was saying. And, and, and the psalmist, through Moses, this is Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12. Look at what he says in a very profound way. He says, Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us not wisdom. Please, don't teach us wisdom first. Don't teach us wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so that we may 
gain a heart of wisdom. You see that? He's not saying, Lord, teach me wisdom. No, 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 no. Teach me, Lord. Today's gone. It's not going to come back. It's over. It's done with. Think about today, even today, how much of your time you spent investing in things of eternity. And how much of time you wasted thinking about other things. Think how much of time you really spent. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to always spend time reading the word of God. Really, in that busy schedule of yours, and you know, one man of God says, people are not busy, they're just lazy. It's not just busy. I mean, I, I know my father used to tell me, he said, Vijay, a busy man has got time for everything. <laughs> Words of wisdom is called Animutyalo, pearls before swine like me. See, you busy. You have a busy schedule. Did you factor in God spending time in His Word, getting to know Him, so that Lord, do you have that quiet time with God? Whatever you want to call quiet time, devotion, whatever, whatever that is. Or are you depending upon a WhatsApp message for your devotion? That's your handle. You think about it. Look at look at look at what First Peter chapter four has to say. Therefore, since Christ has suffered, therefore, since God suffered, this is this is how you have to read it. In the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Other translations will say, same mind or same method of thinking. Because he who has suffered in the flesh, I'm using the NASV translation. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning, so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh. No longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Why? Why? Why should you do that? Why should you do that? And he's going to substantiate the statement with an argument saying, this is what he says, why should I do that? He says, for the time already passed is sufficient for you. To have carried out the desire of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality. <laughs> Look at the language. You know, a lot of people pursue a course in French, pursue a course in Arabic, pursue a course in Java, pursue a course in C-hash, pursue a course in .NET, pursue a course in testing, pursue a course in sensuality. And it starts from class one, by the way. Books that you're exposed to, programs that you watch, Sensuality course 101, sensuality 102, sensuality 103, sensuality 104, PhD in sensuality. Ultimately. Course, course after course after course after course in sensuality, but no time for God. Course after course for things which do not profit have absolutely no Bearing on eternity at all. See, think about it. No, Pastor was talking about that. How many of you really do courses that will enhance your thinking? Courses and to expand your domain of influence in your own company so that you can be, you can have opportunities to serve better in your own company. How many of you do that? Hmm? Young people? 
you are all at an age where you are teachable still. You still are young. Most of you are below 35. I mean, I told God, Lord, somebody said, no, by the time you reach 40 years old, your level of learning will reduce because your mind is already programmed in a particular way. I said, Lord, I reject that, Lord. I reject that. It doesn't matter 60, 65, 70, 75, 80. I, if I have to learn something new, I will learn. I will learn. If it requires for me to learn. Pursue a course in sensuality. You're pursuing courses in sensuality, saints. Most of you have idea. Many young people have ideas about what the latest movie is, but they have no idea what God is doing in the earth today. No idea. You see? Have pursued courses in sensuality. So time is so important. If God has to give something of His burden into our lives, we need to spend time in His presence. Think about the systems in your, that you're building in your life, your spiritual systems. How much time do you spend reading the word, praying, coming under mentorship, asking people to show you where you're going around? Do you have time for anything of those? Are you, do you take, you know, you have a very cavalier attitude towards Christianity. Think about that. Think about that. Fathers, mothers, students, workers, elders. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Now it happened in the month of Chislev. Note that. In the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant that are, there are in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. Oh boy. For how many days? For days. It was not that he'd mourn today and he had an audience with the king tomorrow. And I was fasting and praying before the Lord. He was confessing and was repenting and was asking God to show Lord in my life, in my life, yes, I've made it in Babylon. I've become the top shot, whatever you want to call it. I've arrived. But Lord, this is not what you called your people to be. Month of Chislev. And then what happens? And it came to pass about in the month of Nisan. You know how many months passed by? Four months. 120 days of fasting and praying and seeking the face of God. Spending time in His presence so that He could know that the burden that He has is genuine. You want to build something authentic for the Lord? My dear brothers and sisters, do you spend time in His presence? Do you spend time? Do you give what we call as quality time? And by the way, you cannot give quality time unless you give quantity of time. There is nothing called as quality time without quantity. You know that. What is quality time? 10 minutes? Oh, 10 minutes you are able to converse? Break through the spiritual realm? Oh my goodness, I am telling you honestly, no? I read a book. If it's PG Rouse. <sighs> Interest. Next page, next page, next page, next page, next page. I read something of, let's say, Tozer or... or... Uh, Bonhoeffer or 
or C.S. Lewis, <laughs> two pages, I'm like, when is it going to finish, Lord? And, does, I mean, and how am I going to expect myself to grow in the Lord unless I give myself time? You think it is easy to build a relationship with the Lord? No way. It took 30 years for Jesus to build a relationship wherein he had this communion once. He had this absolutely hotline before with his God and he used to continue doing that. He used to sneak for opportunities. He used to go away and spend time in prayer over all night, etc, etc, etc. I mean, think about it, no? How many of us really do that? How many of us are desperate for a prayer like we say, all night prayer? On Friday, let's say. How many of you will come? Fasting and prayer. How many of you will come? See? I remember the first time when pastor was introducing fasting and prayer in the, in the church, he said, the Lord told me, the church is going to be built by only those who will be a part of the fasting and prayer. That's the announcement that he made. My heart started beating. And you would tell, you, I will, I'll tell you honestly, whenever I used to miss a fasting and prayer, I used to think that I lost my call. Whenever I used to miss an all-night prayer, I thought gone. And used to have a class 8.30 in the morning, all night in prayer, 8.30 in the morning. And in fact, in fact, I, I got a D grade in a particular course after getting 80% in the final exam just because I missed the classes. Because of all night prayer. I had to do the course again. Later I got an A, but that's a different thing. But I, do, you, do you factor these things in at all? And when, when somebody says, this year is going to be the year of destiny, does your heart beat against your chest? Does it pound? Does it race? Say, don't spend time. See, we get the results because of the kind of systems that you are building, my dear brothers. It's not in spite of the results systems that we are building. It is because of the systems that we are building. Hmm? Okay. Second thing. Nehemiah, Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew it. I blew it away. You brought it home. I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house that lies in ruins, why each of you busies himself with his own house. You see that? In other words, if you want to build an appropriate system, you have to put God first. God first, not me first. Others first, not me first. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now think about it. How much of your time is spent thinking about you and how much of your time is thinking about the church? 
That is how you know. Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy. Oh, I love this. Out of all Paul's co-workers, there was one guy, he says, I trust. So many co-workers. Co-workers, he had, he had Demas, he had Titus, he had Luke, he had so many people. He had Priscilla and Ancilla. He had so many co-workers and he looks at all of them. And then he says, you know what? And he zeroes in on one guy. You know what that guy's name is? Timothy. I trust in the Lord. And I was actually discussing sometime back with Eric. I was telling, you know what, Eric, one of the things that we need to do as young people, we to encourage young people, is to encourage them to build trust with the eldership. Where you can be trusted. You know something, you need to understand there's a lot of difference between the love of God and God loves everybody unconditionally, but he does not trust everybody. You understand that? You need to understand that. And if you have been a believer for a considerable amount of time, you need to ask yourself this question, can I be trusted? Look at this. But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state and look at why? Why does he want to send only Timothy? He gives an answer. Because I have no one like-minded. Oh boy, what an indictment. That of all the people, he says, I don't see any person who has the vision that I have for the church. Think about that, my dear brothers and sisters. Who will sincerely care for you. In other words, he says, you know what? If I send Timothy, it's as if I'm sending myself. Who will sincerely care for you. For all they all seek their own. Not for the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. I like that. Proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. See that? Why, what, what, what about Timothy? What is this about Timothy? Now let me tell you something. Timothy was a very timid guy. You know it. We read scripture. He was timid. He was not healthy. He had a lot of stomach problems. I mean, he used to fall ill often. I mean, think about some of us who fall ill often. Often we have some problem, some ailment. And it could be because of your physical condition. And, and nobody's going to despise that. But think about it. Does that stop you from serving God? I mean, you need to understand when Timothy was exhorted in First Timothy and Second Timothy, he says, stir up the gift that is in you. He took that counsel very seriously. And you know what? He became a martyr. And if you read church history, he was so on fire for God, he became the bishop of Ephesus. And one day he was passing by the, uh, by the roads of Ephesus and he looked at a crowd which was worshipping idols and he went and confronted them and he said, what are you worshipping? His spirit was stirred within him and he confronted those people who were worshipping idols and immediately they stoned him to death and he died. The same Timothy with all kinds of issues and problems and, and his fears and his, and his health problems, etc, etc, etc. What about Timothy? What about Timothy that has distinguished uh, him from the other workers? I'll tell you. This is found in scripture again. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For this reason I have sent to Timothy, who is my beloved and what? Faithful child. 
in the Lord. And he will remind you of not, see, he will not come and say, this is what the Lord says. He will come and say, he will remind you of whose ways? My ways. Which are in Christ. Just as I teach everywhere and in every church. I can trust this fellow. Oh, you know, what, what, what about this? I'll tell you, what does this faithful child mean? Timothy had a spirit which was teachable. He could be taught. He could be confronted. He could be exhorted. He could be reprimanded. He could be reproved. He could be scolded. You see, that is, that is, that is, that is the difference. And think about so how many young people, they, they, you raise a voice in, in my own home. Papa, don't speak like that to me, Papa. Speak kindly. That's what I'll say. Why did you do that? Don't speak like that. Speak kindly. You don't, cannot speak a little harshly with people. See, you have to, you have to really walk on eggshells. What will they think? What will they think? What will they think? You will be forever people who cannot be trusted. I don't want to be. I'm telling you honestly, I want people to confront me and show me. I said, because Lord, I don't care. I told Justin, I said, I didn't leave my job to come here and to waste my time. I just want to do something which will last eternity. It doesn't matter what is going to happen to me. How many times I'm confronted, I will change. I will change. I will take correction. I have, I, and I pray, Lord, I just, I'm absolutely going to be tough on myself. I said, Lord, doesn't matter who's going to correct me. I will take it. I will take, I want to have a teachable spirit because I want to finish what you have started in my life. And the greatest sentence will be me. Okay. That is the reason why. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the Joshua, the son of Jezedek, and the high priest, and all the, what? See that? Remnant. Very few. You see, there is a problem. You see, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very, very sad thing that not many people will like this. And a remnant of the people obeyed the voice and they feared the Lord. See that? They obeyed the voice and they feared the Lord. They obeyed the voice and they feared the Lord. They obeyed the voice and they feared the Lord. They said, you know what? I'm going to take correction. I want to build trust. I want to be some, I want to be counted for something in God's kingdom. I want to be, I want to be accountable with every time that has, that has been given to me, every dime that I earn. I want to be accountable. Think about it. Now, how much does your company pay you? How many of you think that you're overworked? How many of you think that the company owes you a bonus? Because you spend so much time and you say they don't give me my money's worth. Or do you really, really, for the every dime that they give you, that they give you, do you think that you're accountable for every dime that you earn? Can you say, you know what I get? That's the reason why many many people say, I just grace Baba, I get more than what I deserve. Okay. Many, very few people fear the Lord. Next. Haggai, chapter. Obeyed the voice, and that is what he's talking about. He's saying that very few people will obey. And then, there's one principle that I learned in obedience. Now, this is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. What is obedience? We heard this several times in the church. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. 
He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. In other words, God is going to test us if you are obedient in little, 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 small, 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 small things in our lives. Another principle, another principle, same, Luke's Gospel chapter 16 verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in what is, everybody read that. Ah, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You see, David had to be proved. He had to be faithful with his whose sheep? Father's sheep until he got his own. My landlord just went and he said, we went to the US for a couple of months. And he said, Vijay, till I come back, hold fort. <laughs> as if it was a big fortress. But you know, he's saying, uh, treat it as your own house. Now think about it, no? You know, what is God saying? If I don't treat somebody else's house as my own, how will I get my own property? Simple. Somebody, if you borrow somebody else's car, let's say, how are you care? Do you treat somebody else's car as your own when you borrow somebody else's car? If you cannot be faithful in somebody else's car, how can God give your own car? You see that principle? And finally, I'm going to stop here. In, 20, in Haggai chapter 2, on the 24th, uh, 24th of the ninth month in the second year, Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord, Ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with his fold or cooked food, wine, oil or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. In other words, he says, just do one small experiment. Take holy food in your in your garment. It's holy food. And even as you are passing by, touch somebody else's food like this. Just because you are carrying holy food and you touch somebody else's food, will that thing become holy? They said, no. They also said, and then he said, okay, do another experiment. What is the other experiment? Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these with the latter, with the, will, th- 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 any of these, will the latter become unclean? And what did they say? It will become unclean. What is he trying to say? One lesson. Sin is contagious, holiness is not. What is that? Sin is contagious, holiness is not. Meaning, I can't transfer my holiness by touching other people. Only God can do. That is what happened when uh, when the leper came. Jesus preached the sermon on the mount. He came down and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I am willing, be thou clean. And he touched him. Because he is the holy one. Just because he touched something unclean, he is not going to become unclean. Because he is absolutely, infinitely pure. But we are not. Paul will tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts. Everybody read that? Good manners. You know something? You Very easy to teach children bad language. Suddenly, they will use that word. Where did you hear that? Papa used it. 
It's very easy. It is easy to transfer sin. Very difficult to transfer holiness. I mean, it is impossible in fact to transfer holiness. You see that? Look at, I mean, if you've been getting these devotions that every every day I was looking at this and this was something which really touched my heart. The Puritan's devotions on day 7, Pastor sent it. Look at what it says. One leak in a ship will sink it. One stab strikes Goliath just as dead as 23 did Caesar. One Delilah may do Samson as much mischief as all Philistines. One broken wheel spoils the whole clock. One vein bleeding will let out all the vitals. One fly will spoil a whole box of ointment. One. One bitter herb will spoil all the pottage. By eating one fruit, Adam lost paradise. One lick of honey endangered Jonathan's life. One Achan was troubled to all Israel. One Jonah raises a storm and becomes a lord. And then Gideon had 70 sons. This was the best of all. Gideon had 70 sons, but one bastard child. Yet that bastard child destroyed all the 70 sons. Ah, Christian. Do you not know what a world of mischief one unmortified lust may do? Therefore, let nothing satisfy you but the death of all your lusts. One. 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 One thing you lack. And that one thing can change your entire destiny. One. As I end, this is the last exhortation. God has prepared something, but this is the last thing. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day on the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake everything. Be sure that the foundations and the systems that you have built are strong and based upon a solid foundation. And the word of the Lord came. I'm going to shake everything. And this is what Hebrews 12, 12, last last verse in Hebrews chapter 12. And his voice shook the earth. This is the same quotation from Haggai. It shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of the created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That means he's going to shake everything in our lives. Everything. Everything. Let me tell you something. He's going to touch your finances. Be sure about your finances. He's going to touch your health. He's going to touch your family. He's going to touch your spiritual life. Every aspect of your spiritual life will be shaken so that you can be sure that what you're being built, what you're building is a system which stands the test of time. You can be sure. It is not to expose us. No, because he wants us to be partakers of his holiness. And one day he'll say, you know what? If you've gone, you've come through all this shaking, you have a system which will stand the test of time. It doesn't matter what kind of opposition the devil will throw at you. You will be still be able to come through. Do you want to be young people like that? Do you? I mean, I'm telling you honestly, I want to be a man like that. I said, Lord, I want my life to be counted. I want my life to be counted. I want my life to be counted. doesn't matter how many 
processes that I go through. I want to finish the course that, I, that, I, that you have begun in my life. I can't do it in my own strength, but I have the desire to finish it. I have the desire. You have the power. I have the desire. You have the power. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Father, for this time. So many things to be learned from this ancient prophet, Lord. So many things. Father, so many of us building lives. I pray, Father, that that even as you have exhorted us, we will go and examine ourselves through this week, through this month, the end of the 10th year, the beginning of the last month, the 12th month of this year. Before, Father, you're going to establish something of lasting value in our lives. I pray, Father, that we will choose to examine ourselves. Lord, it doesn't matter how painful it might seem to us. Lord, take us through, Father. Because we know you judge us and you chastise us because you love us. And you said, Lord, if you are, we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate children. Lord, we do not want to be illegitimate, Lord. Father, stir us up. Shake us, show us, Lord, so that, Lord, that we can build lives that will last the test of time. We can build spiritual lives, individual spiritual lives, which will last, Father, the test of time. Which will, We will build marriages and families which will last the test of time. We will build Christian churches and organizations which will last the test of time. We will build businesses, Christian businesses which will last the test of time. Careers which will last the test of time. Because Lord, we have a character, O Lord Father, which has been proven and tested through fire. O Father, I pray Father that you would grant us a desire this evening, O Lord. And through this month, O Lord Father, stir us up, stir us up. Grant us teachable spirits and a willing heart. You said in your word, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.